Welcome, everybody, to the Competition Archery Media Podcast, where we explore all things pertaining to competition archery. I'm your host, PJ Riley, and the CAM Podcast is brought to you by O'Neill's Classic Archery. And we have a different kind of podcast today. It's in person with Hallie Grind. Hi, PJ. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? So, Hallie, we wanted to talk to you. It's been a great month. Has it been a month? Mm-hmm. You won, took second place in Reading at the big shootout there, and then your first ASA Pro Class podium. Yeah, it's been good. How has that been processing for you? Um, it's definitely different. It's a confidence booster. I kind of struggled at the beginning of the year, so being able to go and put two good tournaments together has felt really good. So, Hallie, I've shot with you a bunch. I've seen you shoot. I know you can shoot and talk a little bit about the struggles I know you've had because you can shoot. That's not the problem. It's between the ears there. Yeah. No, it's definitely <laughs> for me. It's I always have struggled with confidence and feeling like I'm thoroughly prepared. So um, I prepared a bit differently than I normally do for Reading. And I shot my bow a ton. And I really worked on like myself and how I handle my equipment. And it's given me just knowing like I can shoot a bow and my my stuff, everything is put together and perfect. That's been, that's made a world of a difference. You were in second, or excuse me, in first place at Reading after two days. So, you know, we all know Paige, she likes to win that tournament and that put a little, made her nervous, we'll say. Oh yeah. <laughs> she yeah. ended up winning in the end, but you took second. And I mean, that's like the Tour de France of archery there because it's it's three days it's a ton of arrows it's long distance it's weather conditions especially this year rain wind and all that how I mean you said your confidence you that really had to be I would imagine a confidence boost to be able to do well there yeah Reading is such a different tournament because like you said there's so many more factors to it and you're shooting from three to 101 yards so your stuff like your sight tape your bow your arrows like everything has to be perfect and there's so much to pay attention to and so going to that tournament and leading for two days and then getting second like that was definitely a turnaround for me I kind of feel like I turned the page of like I know I can do this and I know I can be up there because how were you feeling at the end of each day when you then saw the leaderboard boom Hallie Grime number one it was really exciting and nerve-wracking so I cleaned the first day and I I this is a dig at myself but like I did not expect to do that because I had been shooting good that week and like my sight tape was good I felt good I felt prepared but still, like you said, like I really struggle mentally sometimes. And to go there and be able to put one clean day of not missing an orange dot together, that was like, it was very exciting. But it was also like, oh, my goodness, like I did that and now I'm leading. And so there was a lot of nerves and there was a lot of thoughts. And then so we started kind of on the easy part of the course, as people consider it, Um and then we had the harder parts the following two days. And so it was definitely like I didn't know how things would play out and how things would fall. Um, so then going out and shooting the second day really well also and then still leading like that felt good because we had 
arguably the hardest part of the course with the most challenging targets our second day. So that was definitely, it was good. Third day, missed a couple, I mean, still a solid round. Let's be honest about that. Dropped a couple points, but I mean, nobody can say that you imploded. Right. You had the pressure and stuck with it and came in. Hey, second place. Yeah. And for me, That's that was awesome. a really that was a really big deal because I usually like I can put together a good qualifying score indoors, or I can put together a first good day, and then I usually implode because I let the nerves get to me, and it's just not not pretty. So to be able to deal with some nerves and deal with some pressure, and then the same goes for like the the following tournament after that, to be able to handle it and keep it under control and still shoot well, um, that was a really big, that was a really big deal for me. Right. So let's go into True Ball Pro-Am London uh, because you didn't come out of the gate necessarily on fire. You had to kind of work your way up. Talk, take us through that tournament. So I going... Going from Reading to London, I said I wasn't going to change anything at all because my and let's equipment... let's say, before we go on, let's say you shoot women's known pro Yes, now. I shoot okay. women's known pro, yep. Um, so going from London to, or Reading to London, I said I wasn't going to touch my bow at all. I wasn't going to change anything. I played with my scope setup a little bit to be able to um, let more light in and see better because London is infamous for being a darker tournament and the lighting is a, is a struggle. Yes. Um, and then I ended up having a few bow things and I had to work on that and play with that. And so leading up to London, I was in London the first couple of days, um, and I was shooting and I was like, mentally, I was like, I just, I changed stuff and it's not shooting the same. <laughs> and I was like, this is just not going to be good. Um, and then I did like the first day I started out, my first like six targets were really good. And then I had just one bad arrow and it, it was all me. I should have let down. I just, it wasn't. I didn't execute it well. Um, and then that kind of dug me in a hole that I had to work myself out of. And so, yeah, I didn't come out of the gate on fire. And then the second day we went out and we shoot at 7.30 in the morning and we're at the top of the hill. So the targets are all backlit. And so you're literally shooting at just like black bobs and yep. black blobs in the middle of the woods. <laughs> and like, that's a struggle. You just hope to come out even aim somewhat center and hope for a 10 um but being able to not totally implode when we couldn't see and then when the lighting got a bit better and we could see and it was a it felt a little better aiming at 12s and hitting them and then being able to stay on the leaderboard and in third place like that felt really good so you get through that and now it's time to come out on the baseball field with the tv cameras and the audience and everybody watching what was that like for you? Mm, that was very nerve wracking. So I've been <laughs> in a few situations like with cameras before, like back when I was in shooting in the young adult division, I made the stage at the Lancaster Classic, I think in 2020. Um, but for me, that was the most nervous I have ever been because that meant the most. Like I have always said since my very first ASA, I want to be in a shoot down one day. And I just, ASA is what kind of, I shot my first ASA back in 2019 and it just kind of like sparked like a different love for archery and shooting like I love shooting 3D and let's talk about that I mean we'll get into that deeper but 2019 was your first ASA shooting high school open Mm -hmm. four years pro shoot down we'll talk about that in a second but 
finish up London there. Yeah. So <laughs> it was going out there just because, and it was in the pro, it was my first shoot down in the pro class. Like that was, it was very nerve, nerve wracking. And like, I, it was a mess. Like I felt like a train wreck and I was like, I just hope I can keep them in the tent because I am so nervous, but it was, it was good. And then let's talk about, you're saying just keep them in the tent. The last shot. Okay. That's when <laughs> all the pressure, there's no more pressure than the last shot because either you hit the 14 and stay on the podium or you don't hit it and you're off the podium. Mm-hmm. Mike Tyrell, mentioned over the loudspeaker how he needs to shoot a 14 because I think it was bonus rings. Yes. Was so that separating Actually, you I think going into the last target, Cassidy, so Cassidy Cox came in the shoot down in fifth place and I was right. sitting in third. She shot lights out. She, she hit did. all the bonus rings, 12s and 14s. So she worked her way up and going into the last target, she was actually beating me. So I was in fourth place. Okay. Um, so if she would have shot a 12, she would have beat me. But she shot a 10 and I kind of I kind of waited and played it out to see what would happen because gotcha. I was so nervous in my brain. I was like, I cannot shoot for a 14. I'm either going to shoot a five <laughs> or I'm going to miss the target altogether. Like, it's just not this is not going to be good. It's not a safe place to shoot. No, no. <laughs> so um, when I saw that she shot a 10, that get, it did not help my nerves at all. But it also was like, OK, you actually have to shoot for the 14. If you shoot for a 10 or a 12, you're just going to look dumb because you have nothing to Why lose. Why did you do that? If you hit it, you'll make the podium. If you don't, you'll still be in fourth. So I just kind of it was a last minute. Literally, as I was drawing back is when I finally talked myself into you just have to aim at it. And what was your pin doing when you took aim? So I. <laughs> I joked that I pulled a Tim Gillingham because right as my pin got to like the general area of what I thought was the 14, I just let it rip. And it was literally like a miracle that that thing hit the 14 because it was not, it was not a pretty shot at all. (laughs) You wouldn't put that one out there on your highlight tape of form perfection. Definitely not. (laughs) So... Um, before we talk about some other stuff, I want to stick with that for a second because women's known pro Paige has won the first four. It's been well publicized that she did a lot to put the, you know, to push for this class. Most of the ASA archers are known distance shooters. Mm -hmm. ASA is unique. It provides a place unknown, known, whatever you want to do, there's a place for you to shoot, but there was not a women's known pro class, if you came all the way up as you did through women's K-50, then you have a decision to make. If you want to go pro, you have to go, you had to go women's pro. There was no place for someone like Paige. She doesn't want to play the judging game. That's a whole other subject. But some people are out there saying, that this was just Paige's way of creating a class for herself. And she'll be the first one to say that. But I wanted to ask you, because I know what your thought is about that. Tell me what your thought is about that. So (laughs) it is kind of comical to me to like listen to those comments because yes, Paige advocated and worked super hard to make that class, but she made that class so that it could be more inclusive to everyone. She didn't make that class for herself. And I think And I would say this if she was right here, and I know she'll probably hear me say this, like Paige is beatable. We have, I mean, 
going into the first four shoot downs, I believe there was a little more of a point gap between her and second place. But like the reality is at this one, there was only an eight point gap going into the shoot down between her and second place. Right. And if she would have went out and just shot tens and Morgan, Morgan Reeves, she went into the shoot down in second. If she would have shot at 12s and 14s, like she could have caught Paige. So it's, Paige just advocated and worked hard because she has a voice and she likes to speak up. And she also likes to make a place for everyone because her heart is growing the sport of archery, which I am totally on board with and support and agree with. This has nothing to do with denigrating Paige. Yeah. She's a champ. She's an excellent archer. She works super hard. She deserves everything that she does. But you know she's beatable because you beat her. Yeah. Last year. I did, yes, at the ASA at the Classic. ASA yeah. Classic in Women's Known 50. She had won a couple tournaments that year, but in that one, Hallie Grind was at the top of the podium. And that's also just the reality of 3D. Like, at the end of the day, you can shoot your bow really, really well, and there's still some luck that you need to have on your side yeah. because you can't see what you're aiming at. So you might be shooting really well, holding really good, aiming really good, but if you're not in the exact spot you need to be, you're going to not hit a 12. Right. And I think more the mentality behind Paige and where she stands is she's just setting the bar for everyone else. We, If we work hard and we put in the time and the mindset and have a good attitude, like we could all be at that level too. Me, Danelle, Linda, like we, we can all be there too. It's just we all just have to work just as hard. So it's, if anything, I really respect what Paige is doing because she's setting the bar for this is what we can do as well. Because if one person can do it, if other people work hard enough, everyone can do it. I know I talked to Madison Cox and she said, yeah, I I don't look at it as I want to shoot for second. She wants to beat Paige. Danelle, Tanya, there's a whole bunch of you that who... Yeah, that's you're not looking at it as, oh, I just want to get second place. Right. No. no. And I mean, and even Paige, I'm sure, would admit, hey, if you can beat her, yeah, that's even that's like somebody Jacob Slusar is coming out and beating Levi Morgan and Dan right. McCarthy. That's awesome. Um, and um, one thing I also wanted to mention was I thought this tournament, you know, people saying Paige wanted to make a class for herself. One of the things about Paige that I don't know if people know is, and you know, how hard she works at it. It is crazy. And I really got to witness it because I stayed with her the first couple days in Reading. And she just, she lives and breathes archery constantly. She wakes up in the morning and it's all she does until she goes to bed. Like she works so hard. And I, that's why I have a lot of respect for her because if we are actually serious about archery and we want to win, that's the reality of it. And that's not just the reality with Paige and women's known pro. It's the reality for everyone. If you take any class, like if you want to win, you have to work hard. Archery isn't one of those things that you can just pick up and it magically comes together. You have to work on it. Paige, we interviewed her after the Friday round. And I think she was leading by six or eight. I can't remember. But, uh, you know, a comfortable lead. Not huge, not small. Comfortable lead. And, you know, I saw lots of the pros, you know, they vanished from the venue. 
I saw Paige out on the bags for hours. After her round and after she had set herself in first place, she was out there shooting. And that's shooting, what that's shooting. what I love about Paige and I, I look up to her in that aspect. She might be leading, she might have a comfortable lead, but if it's not to her standards, she's gonna keep working on it and she will be there until dark. Like there is she, she doesn't said, stop. She said there was something there was something in her sight picture she didn't like. She's right. like, I have to figure this Even out. Even if it's good, she's always looking on how to make it better. And that's what I'm working on too. Even if I feel like it's good, even though I had two good tournaments, like something can always be just a little bit better. And that's, I think that's good. what sets apart the winners and the not winners. I wanted to talk <laughs> about that because I know um, you and some of the other ladies, it's, you know, you folks, it's kind of insulting when somebody says, oh, Paige made a class for herself because that's kind of discounting you. And yeah, no, you want to go out there and get it too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So now covered the tournaments. One of the purposes of this podcast is who is Hallie Grind? And uh, like you mentioned, your first ASA was in 2019. That's only four years ago. And you were shooting high school open then. How long have you, how old are you? I'm 20 years old. 20 years old. How long have you been shooting a bow? Mm, seven or eight years now. And what was your start? How did you get into it? So my dad was a bow hunter and I, like all of my life. And so I just grew up around that and I wanted to learn how to shoot a bow so that I could bow hunt with my dad. Um, and he signed me up for, he didn't trust himself to teach me. So he signed me up for classes in the Lancaster Archery Academy. So I started in their very first beginner, like hour long intro class. And I just, I mean, from the moment I picked it up, I fell in love with it. Um, and I, I was kind of that kid that always tried everything. Like I danced cause my mom's a dancer and I played soccer. But once I picked up archery, like that was just, that was the end. I just loved it. What was it. the first? Did you start with a compound? Or no, with a I recurve? started with a barebow recurve. Gotcha. So I fell in love with it. And then from there, I just went through all of the classes that the academy provided. Um, so I went through all their six-week classes. And then I, then I switched over to one of their, like, compounds that they have. Um, and I really loved shooting a compound. But that was also what I wanted to do anyway because I wanted to bow hunt. Um so then going through those classes, like neither my dad or I had any idea about tournament or target archery at all. So at the end of that class, at the end of those classes, I got introduced to the target side of things. I'm like, hey, there's this whole world out there and you're, you're pretty good yeah. at this and we think you could be good at this. So I then, always say bow hunting, you, don't, you might only get to shoot your bow once. Yeah. yeah. Target. You go out to an ASA, yep. you know you're going to shoot it 40 times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, so I got my own equipment and then I um, joined the Lancaster Joad Club. And then from there I got on to the Joad team. And then it was just, it was all I did. I then like I switched to cyber school in high school so that I could travel to all the tournaments and have time to shoot. And then I got a job at the, at the academy at Lancaster Archery. Um, so it was just, it quickly became my life and all I did. And now you still work for Lancaster Archery. Tell folks what you do. So I transferred up and now I work in the pro shop. So I sell bows, work on equipment, set 
set equipment up, tune it. Um, and I've really loved that. It's given me a whole new aspect of understanding equipment and archery, and it's helped me a lot in my own personal shooting. Right, exactly. Now, we mentioned your dad. Your dad, of course, is Josh Grime, who is the owner of the ASA. So let's talk about that. <laughs> because you're, I mean, I can only imagine, we've talked about it a little bit, but anybody out there can imagine father, daughter, and then he's the owner and you're a competitor. You want to be the competitor. You tell me about that dynamic. I would just like to say <laughs> that I take credit for where my dad is. You should, that's because right. Because <laughs> he dad, didn't know anything about it. He didn't know anything about it. He was not in the archery world at all. He was one of those people like he can shoot a bow really well, but he picked it up like once a year for hunting season and then put it down at the end of hunting season. So once I started getting into it, obviously I was young. I didn't have a driver's license. So he would drive me to and from the range and he was spending a lot of the time there with me. Um, and he kind of got introduced to it. And my dad always has had this gift where like he's, he's a really good coach and he's a really good, like he can do anything at all. Um, so once he once he was there and kind of got involved in it and learned more about it, he then um, picked up a part-time job in the academy and was a coach. So it was like, if I'm going to be spending all my time here with you, might yep. as well, might as well get some money out of it Why too. <laughs> and I think that helped too in our dynamic because the more he learned about it, the more he could help and support me at shoots. Um, and then from there, he got a job at CAM. Yeah, he's he's my boss, <laughs> cam manager, and then he's running both of our lives. Yeah, Do you realize it's kind of scary. <laughs> <laughs> but then, then from there, so he got involved with cam. Then he was coming to all of the ASAs with me and all the shoots with me, and was more involved there. And then got into the ASA side of things. So I like to take partial credit for where he is <laughs> and what he's doing. So t talk about how it is for you, because. Obviously, hey, let's. There's no preferential treatment, the, Not but at that's all. what people are going to think about. Oh yeah, uh, for sure. Father, daughter, it can't happen. It really can't happen though, because when you're shooting on the range, it's you and the other archers right. out there. It, it, it can't happen. And he's but, working, so he's not he's even working. around anyway. But I'm sure you feel that. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it's been a, it's been a different dynamic to navigate because it went from him being my dad at tournaments to I'm here and this is my job and he's here and this is my job. So right. it, even though there's been that weird dynamic to navigate, it's also been really good because I've had to become more independent, which I think has helped in archery and like me handling myself on the range and not being so reliant upon him. Um, and then it's given him something to do. So he's not just the nervous dad standing around waiting to find out how I shoot. Um, and I, I mean, this is what I tell literally anyone who asks, like, I kind of just put my head down and keep to myself. And like, I don't, I know just as much as all the other shooters. I don't know more yeah. or no less. It's just, he's funny. I've seen him out there before and he'll be like, Oh, Hallie's doing something like this. He's like, I, I don't want to go over there. <laughs> I'm going to stay away. <laughs> he's always joked that he just stays away at archery tournaments because whether it's really good or really bad, he'll hear about it. And if it's really bad, he jokes that I'll always find some way to blame it on him. <laughs> hey, and speaking of which, 
your dad knocked over my bow this weekend right before shot of the week. Think talking about blaming things. Huh? Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> that you it can blame on okay. him. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I wanted to talk to you about that because I think that's something anybody can appreciate that. Hey, this is what you want to do. You're trying to do it. It doesn't matter to you who owns the ASA. It just happens to be your dad. Yeah. <laughs> so you also shoot indoor, mm-hmm. 3D. You've been to Vegas, Lancaster Archery Classic, Reading, all that. What kind of, what do you consider yourself? Or what do you like? So I really love 3D. And I have a love-hate relationship with indoors. I used to like be all in for indoors and that's all I wanted to do and I just loved it. Yeah. But the more I do other things, the more hate I have towards indoors. Because <laughs> it's it's really fun, but it's also can be repetitive and boring at the same time. Yeah. Because you just have to stand there and hit the same spot 30 or 60 or 90 years in a row. And versus I love 3D. I just have always loved the atmosphere, shooting 3D targets. So I would consider myself an all-around shooter because I do it all. But when it comes down to like what I prefer, I love 3D. However, 3D. However. after shooting Reading this year, yes, I absolutely love running style tournaments. And I, I joked with my dad after the second night that I was leading, I called him and I said, hey, Screw ASA. I like being able to see what I'm aiming at because that's like the best of both worlds. You have an orange dot to aim at, but you're shooting 3D targets and you're outside on a course walking around. Yeah. Um, So I can't consider myself a writing style shooter because there's only one tournament a year. But I would consider myself like an all around shooter, but I really love 3D. Move out there to California. You can shoot all that safari style stuff, West Coast. There's just no money in it. Yeah, right. There's no money in it. (laughs) Yeah. That's also the fun thing about 3D is there's money involved. Yes. So um, when did you, now we should talk about this. Actually, when you started pro, you went to women's pro. You had been shooting um, women's high school open which yeah. is known distance. Right. With and a 40 yard max. You went from, I forget, you tell me, where did you go from there before you went to women's pro? Okay. So I started, I actually, I got it mixed up. I shot my first ASA in 2018 because I shot for two years in, it was like women's high school open or something like that. They yeah. have changed the name of the divisions now. But so I started, I shot that for two years. And then in 2020, I moved up to women's open pro. So it was unknown distance. Okay. Gotcha. And I shot that for a year before. Winning rookie of the year. Yes. I won rookie of the year. Yep. Yeah. That was fun. Um, And then you just decided, I don't want to judge distance. It literally was off the seat of my pants on the whim decision. I think I decided like at a tournament, like I just, I was really, it's a skill. And if you're not like, like I said, so like you, everyone who's winning is working more than people even think or see. And that just adds a whole nother level of if you're not doing it all day, every day and putting 100% of your heart and soul into it, you're not really going to do well because Uh, it's just a skill that you have to like, 
and I really respect Emily and Kara and Sharon and Dan and Levi, like, cause they, that just shows they're so consistent and they can do that so well because they put so much time and effort and energy into doing it well and doing yeah. it consistently well, not just, am I going to guess right one day or not? Like they, they have to know. To me, what, what bothers me, I think archers sometimes are their own worst enemy in that there's hate for this group. One group, the known, unknown, you know, people hating on the barebow or like we were talking about Jason Wilkins, crossbow 45. I mean, he's like the Michael Jordan of crossbow. Yeah. 2018, 19, 20, 21, 22 shooter of the year. To me, I, I don't care what he's shooting. That's impressive right. that somebody is that good. John Demmer, Barebow, awesome. Love to see that. Brady Ellison, Casey Caulfield, Olympic recurve. I like it all. I do too, and that's <laughs> that's why I agree with you. The I don't necessarily agree with the hating on one class oh. or wanting one class to be alive and the other to be dead. Like At the end of the day, we're there because we love the sport of archery. We love shooting our bows, and we want to win. Yeah. And that's what's so special about the ASA is there is a place for everyone to do yes. that. Whether you shoot bare bow, Olympic recurve, crossbow, compound, right. unknown, known, there is room and space for everyone. And so it doesn't have to be drama. It doesn't have to be complaining. It doesn't have to be one class hating on another class or people hating other people. Like there's room and space for everyone. You tried one class and went to another. Yeah. Doesn't mean you'll be there forever. Right. But that's Who knows? where you are I now. Might, I might up and switch to unknown yeah. one day if I feel the want to. The other one that gets me is when people say, oh, you know, like Levi couldn't hang with the known distance. First off, that's pure speculation. Right. And why not say, why even make that? Why not recognize Levi for what he does? and what he's you know really good at yeah which judging distance and they had that uh seminar at the last asa mm -hmm. uh kind of a, a crash course on how to judge distance and I, I levi walked up and turned around to the crowd and he goes so i come up and i get my first guess here you know my first judge like 31 yards. He said, that's what it looks to me. He said, and then I go through the process and blah, 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 and I do this and I might want to shoot this. And so I would shoot this target for 30 and a half yards is what he said to be safe and all that. The target was 31 yards. Right. That <laughs> just like... shows like <laughs> they put in so much time and they, they create a process that they know by heart in order to do well. Yeah. And that's not something to hate on. Like that's something to respect and like I've been shooting unknown distance for 40 years, not professionally or anything, but I've been judging targets. I'm still of, it's 25 or 30, or 35 or 40, right. I'm in five yard. That's just, and he's like, uh, I'm gonna shoot it for 30 and a half. That's insane. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I thought that was cool be, that you were a rookie of the year, so some folks would say, oh yeah, there she goes, she's building up, but, you wanted to switch, and you can, because at ASA, they have known and unknown mm -hmm. and all that. Um, so I will ask you, what do you see? What what You're looking out big picture now, starting to get some traction there. What do you see for yourself? What are you hoping for now on the horizon? 
I would like small goals. I have small goals. I have small goals, but I also have big goals. I'm a little ambitious sometimes, a little too ambitious. Nice. But I would, (laughs) I would like, and I, I feel like it's doable if I'm putting in the work. Like I would like to continue to be on the podium because I. It's pretty cool, isn't it's, it? It's cool. It's fun. It's a really good <laughs> feeling. And I feel like if I put on put in the work, that's that's an achievable goal. Right. Also, there's only two more ASAs this year, and I've only made one shoot down. So I would like to be in the next two shoot downs because that okay. was such a fun and good experience. And I just I hope to be there again. Is it one of those things to where you were like terrified while it was happening, but then it was over? You're like, that was pretty cool. Um. It was terrifying, but it was also really fun. And that's something that I love about our class and the dynamic is, so like Paige and Danelle and Tanya, they all know each other so well because they shoot everything together. They've traveled the country together. Like at the end of the day, they're like sisters and family. And so when we're out there, we're conversing and we're making jokes and we're talking. And so as nerve wracking as that experience was, it was so much fun because I'm, and even though we're competitors and we're shooting against each other and we all want to win and we all want to do well, we're friends too. And so it's like you're out there experiencing that with close friends that are also competitors. And that can be a hard but also really fun dynamic too. Well, when Paige is out there, she wants to kill you. Yes. But <laughs> if you beat her, she'll be the first to say, hey, way to go. You yeah. did good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so now... Uh, I saw you out there and some kids were coming up to you and now people know who Hallie Grine is, the kids. How does that feel to be someone who is recognized like that? It feels really good because, so I've not been around this sport for too, too long. And I was that kid. I was that kid going up to pros coming out of the shoot down, like, hey, can I have your autograph? Or like Mm -hmm. looking up to them and putting them on a pedestal and wanting to be where they are. And it's a really cool feeling to be there now. And I'm not saying I'm on the page level. I'm not saying I'm on any anyone's level, but it's, it's a step. For sure. And it's a really good feeling to be seen and acknowledged in that aspect. It has to, I would imagine if you step back and looked at it, to just starting to shoot competitively in 2018 and to be on in the pro class at a shoot down on the podium, that's not that long. Paige has been shooting a bow for... Since she was three, I think. <laughs> yeah. And she's been shoot So she's been... And this is something that feels really good. She's been shooting professionally, not a bow, but professionally since she was 13. And she's 27 or 28. So that's like almost... And I'm not, I love her to death. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call her old for a minute. But like, that's almost as long as I've been alive. You're right. <laughs> and most of those ladies, like that is the reality. Like Linda, she's been shooting for so yeah. long. And to not be in it for very long and get to shoot against those ladies and compete against them and be up there with them. And not only that, but be friends with them too. Like, that's a really cool feeling. There's your confidence booster right there. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. It hasn't been that long, and you're right there in the mix of it. Of course, I know you're not thinking that when you're looking through the bow site. No. Uh, So one thing I did want to talk about was, um, you know, with the – how fast – what's your bow speed, do you know? Your arrow Um, speed, sorry. Right now it's 275-ish. 
So it was, is it 280 that women's pro? Yep. Do you have that same in known, women's known pro? Yes. 280. Okay. So obviously you're shorter. Your draw length is 25. It's 26 and a half. 26 and a half. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at Reading, how did you get 101 yards? Um, so it was kind of magical because I didn't have to do anything special. And that's okay. like, so I spent some time with Paige before Reading, and even she was like, how is that even possible? Because I'm only <laughs> shooting, I think I'm like 50 and a half pounds. Yeah. And 26 and a half inch draw length. And I could just set my sight and shoot 101 yards. I didn't have to do anything special. I didn't have to change my anchor. I didn't have to shoot a two-fletched arrow. I yeah. didn't have to aim move anywhere different. In, move it out. I didn't have to aim anywhere different on the target. I could just draw back and aim in the middle. It just something about my setup and my pee pipe just magically works. That's, yeah. Have you looked, is it scary when you look at your arrow meeting your scope there at a hundred I yards? actually still have a, a good. You could go farther. Yeah. I could go a touch farther, like maybe 103. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but to shoot 101, which is our max in Reading, I didn't, I, it was a very comfortable shot. And I actually 22 Bigfoot, Bigfoot. at 101 yards in Reading. That's awesome. That was fun. That's a, a, for folks who have never been out there, it's, I don't know how anybody hits that thing. It's down this big draw and then the target's up there and, and you, there's yeah. a whole bunch of you shooting at the same time. There's a time. whole bunch of people shooting and then because it's so far, you never know what the wind is doing at the target or halfway yeah. to the target. I don't know so. how people call each other's arrows We even. don't. You, after the first couple hit that target it's just like ah, i don't know we'll see when we get down there <laughs> yeah, it might have been there yeah Jeez. um so on your bucket list of things you want to win what's there reading i'm gonna guess reading is there of course yeah reading and i would like to win an asa okay gotcha and now do you feel like with what you've experienced this year that you have kind of a roadmap on how to do that or an idea of what you need to do to get there? Kind of. Yeah. For me, I think it's just shooting my bow a lot. Okay. Like I know this setup and what I'm shooting really well and I'm confident in it. And if I keep shooting it and I keep knowing it better and maybe there's little things here or there that I can change to make it just that much better. And what, when you're shooting your bow like that, what is it that you're working on? Is it just your form to perfect it or? It's consistency in my shot timing. That's a big thing for me. I tend to hold really long. Um, so it's consistency in shot timing. It's also strategizing. Like if I'm shooting 3D targets, what can I find on the target or around the target that helps me see where the 12 is? Because okay. the reality is there's, even though you can't see what you're aiming at, most of the time there's a spot on the target or a leaf or a branch or something halfway between you and the target that can help you find the general area of the 12, if not show you right where the 12 is. And so, and I, I have found for me, if I am consistently every day shooting 3D targets and aiming at 12s, it's, it just becomes instinct on yeah. where to aim. Gotcha. What do you, what's your scope setup? What power lens do you have in there? Right now I'm running a six power. Six power. Okay. And that has helped me. I, right before London, I played around with an eight and a six. Um, and with the eight, 
I just couldn't get my target picture and my what I can how my pin looks I couldn't get that to where I I liked it um and with the six I could see I could actually see very well I could see my pin and the target very clearly um and so that's that's what I kind of just stuck with and ran that's when you got those young eyes let me tell you it doesn't get any better well I'm only 20 (laughs) and I have young eyes and I still can't see like Paige says she can see rings on targets like clearly. Yeah. And that's, I'm like, I should be able to see better than you. (laughs) (laughs) What bow are you shooting right now? The TRX 34. The 34. Okay. Gotcha. And you said 50, 50 and a half pounds Mm -hmm. for that one. Okay. So, all right. So now you're working in a pro shop and shooting professionally. Is that, do you see that continuing? Do you see that changing? What are your, what are your life goals, Hallie? Oh, my At life goals. At 20 years old. What do you want to do for the rest of your life? <laughs> that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, I do see myself continuing to shoot. And that's, so I, like I said, the, the start of the year was really rocky. Well, the start of my first couple years in the pro class was really rocky. I had moments of greatness and moments of hope and potential. But to keep that consistently was hard. And it's meant it was a really big mental battle to get over of do I even deserve to be here and am I going to make it because I'm shooting against people who have been shooting bows or been shooting professionally for as long or longer than I've been alive. But after, after last year and winning the Classic and then I also podiumed at the Dakota Classic, that was my first pro podium um and then the last two tournaments like I feel like I just kind of gained not just like a a slimmer of confidence but like a full I can do this and I can be here and so yeah I would like to continue shooting and I would like to continue pursuing that and see where it takes me and I do see myself working part-time to still be able to travel and have that time, but also just to give me something a little different. Like I love working in the pro shop because it's still archery and it's, it's helping me and it's whether it's giving me social skills on having to engage and talk to customers or staying up to date on products and equipment that's coming out. Like that helps at tournaments that helps me also like know everything, know all of my options. Am I shooting the very best to, what I know I can shoot. Do I have the best equipment that's right for me? And so working at Lancaster Archery, I don't, I don't foresee it. I don't foresee myself being there forever, but for the time being, yes, because that's a very beneficial job. And I also, Lancaster Archery kickstarted everything for me. And it's a very big part of who I am and my archery and why I am where I am today. And so for the time being, I do see myself staying here. I I will tell you, Hallie, being from the outside watching you shoot, that it has been difficult because I've seen you, when you're shooting, you shoot as good as anybody. And then I see you sometimes get down on yourself and I'm thinking, man, get that out of there. You can shoot. But I know in your own, you have to deal with that in your own head. So it is cool to see you now getting the success that I think most of us probably knew you would get to eventually, but that's pretty cool. But we're glad you didn't quit. Thanks. I am too. <laughs> so uh, your mom and your sister at home, so they've been to, I know I saw them at, at least one ASA. Was that this year or last year? Uh, my sister came last year. 
And your mom came? My mom came, she came to an ASA back when I was still in the high school class. Is that how long ago it was? Yeah. Holy cow. To yeah. me, that seems like it was at most last year. Yeah. Um, but what's it like for them being at home, watching you, I'm sure they've talked to you about it. Are they like freaking out? Like, Well, my sister, cow. she's a teenager, so she doesn't really, she has that typical teenage <laughs> attitude to where she just doesn't really care. Yeah, that figures. Um, <laughs> but my mom, I know it it's, seems to be super exciting for her, and she's very supportive, and it's, we have a fun family dynamic because my mom is a dance teacher and my sister dance competitively, dances competitively. And uh, then okay. my dad works in the archery world and I shoot my bow competitively. And so it's, it's just kind of a cool dynamic. Like yeah. we have our things, but we all still support each other. And for when sure. I'm home and I'm home for a competition, I go to my sister's dance competition. And then when I'm at a competition and it's broadcasted or I make a shoot down or a shoot off, like, my mom watches. And so it's, Yeah. I wish I could have her at more tournaments, but also I know she has to be home and she still is very supportive from home. And How about this last one where you were on the big show? She called me right. She called me right as I had, was walking off the course after I knew I made the shoot down. Okay. She was freaking out and she was very excited. <laughs> and then she, her and my sister, like, even though they were doing stuff at home and they were out and about, they, my mom said she was driving places and she had the shoot down playing in the car and she was watching While she's it. driving? Well, yeah, she had my sister watching Allison, for don't her. Do <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. I know she's very excitable. So I'm, that's why I was asking about that. I'm sure she loved it. And yeah. I know one other thing I forgot to ask you. And I don't know this. I can't believe I don't know this. But have you shot a deer with your bow? Uh, multiple, yeah. How did I not forget that? Or how did I forget that? I have shot six. Have you shot a big deer? A big buck. I, I mean. shot a decent-sized PA buck. In PA. Okay, yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did know that. Do we have time for a hunting story? Yes. So I went to, uh, La no. I went to Indiana with my dad a few years ago. And... We went to this hunting camp and it was pretty much, it was kind of guided. And we went out one day and we were sitting there and they showed us a few decent bucks that they had on trail cams. And there was one really solid. I mean, he was an absolute <laughs> monster. And they were like, if you're going to see him, it's going to be at this stand. So we went to that stand one day and it was like, it had been 80 degrees all week. And that morning dropped to like 30. Like I was in all my nice. winter stuff. It was freezing. And right as the sun came up, this was, it was in November. So it was like prime rut time. There was a few does that ran across a field that was like a hundred yards in front of us. And I, we just heard these, this like grunt start. And I was like, oh my goodness, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> And we were glassing the field, and all of a sudden, you just saw antlers pop up. And he was, it was the big, the one of the biggest bucks that they had on trail cam. And, I mean, he was just an absolute monster. And my dad, I didn't, I didn't think there was any way he was going to come to us because he was chasing these does, and they ran opposite direction of us. And dad grunted a few times, and he just, like, he was on a string, just turned around and came right to us. And this was actually... So it was the first and only deer I have ever missed. He came right into us. He turned 30 yards, 30 yards broadside and I shot and I actually argued with my dad. I was like, there is no way that I missed that deer. 
It is the best shot that I have ever put on a deer ever. And he was just, I mean, pictures don't even do him justice. He was a monster. Yeah. And like pushing 270, 280, like potentially even more. He was mm-hmm. huge. And I looked through the binos and there was this one little twig that was just right in the way. And that was my one and only deer I ever missed. But I'm glad it happened that way because I clean missed him and he wasn't injured or anything. He just... You needed to be shooting your 600 grain arrows and go right through yeah, that twig. Yeah, That would fly great <laughs> out of a 50-pound bow. Now, how did you feel when you missed that deer? Oh, it was awful. There was anger. There was tears. I yelled at my dad. I was just... It was not good. See, I missed the biggest buck I ever shot at two years ago, and it was it should have been a gimme. And I don't know. Afterwards, now that one, I had been chasing that deer for four years. I don't know. I, I felt sick to my stomach, but at the same time, I was kind of like, yeah, so what? He's, he's still out there running yeah. around. And then the neighbor shot him in gun season, so <laughs> that was the end of that. But... I was curious how. I've also shot a black bear with my bow in Canada. I don't think I remember that. Yeah. So I shot a pile of deer and then a a bear in Canada. And a bear in Canada. All right. Did you go hunting last year? Yeah. I actually, I went on like a two week long trip to Ohio and Indiana. Okay. Um, Now I'm remembering. Yeah. 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 Didn't get lucky those two weeks. So hunting goal then shoot a big buck. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And hunting still, as big as I am in the target world, and as much as I shoot my target bow, that still for me is like why I started archery, and it's been my dad and I's thing since, I mean, hunting has been our thing since before I can remember. There's pictures of little Hallie, like five years old, in a duck blind with her dad, like... That's just always been our thing, and so I was that's say still little Hallie, but I, it's just the littler to, than I am now. <laughs> I have to say the Matthews picture where they yeah, had all the yeah. all, everybody lined up with the checks, and then you look across, and of course there's Levi and Jeff Hopkins, and then down at the end there was. Hallie I, there. I complained to Derek. I said we need smaller checks, <laughs> and he laughed because I kind of had to stay on my tippy toes you and did. bend the check. To be somewhat taller than it. And he laughed. He's like, well, I've never had a shooter that I've had an issue like that with before. <laughs> All right, folks. That is another episode of the Competition Archery Media Podcast. Hallie Grind, congrats on your successes. And Thank you. Hey, thanks for sitting here because I know you got to go to work here like in an hour. Thank you, PJ. Thanks for having me. Folks, the Competition Archery Media Podcast is available where you find all your favorite podcasts. Thanks for joining us.